I, th I thought people would be busting to get in here, you know? It's fasting. Isn't, isn't that exciting? Woo. Hey, woo! <laughs> yeah, so we're looking at it again. Okay, and um, as Steve said, uh, Andrea's message last week was really excellent and uh, she said lots and uh, I almost found it hard to find more to say but I thought we'd delve a bit further into the Bible and, uh, and, and see what we can learn about fasting. Uh, what we'll see is that there are many references to fasting in the Old Testament but not very many in the New. But there is continuity throughout the whole Bible. Um, the Bible is an unfolding revelation. Right? We learn new things as we work our way through the Bible, particularly when it comes to Jesus, who is the perfect revelation of God. And uh, with the coming of Jesus, there's also an element of discontinuity, because Jesus provided a completely new context for fasting. Uh, as with so many things that changed when Jesus came, the old ways are no longer appropriate. For example, baptism. The Jews baptised non-Jews who converted to Judaism. They were called proselytes. John the Baptist, um, his baptism was purely one of repentance. Uh, whereas the baptism Jesus inaugurated and instructed his followers to, uh, to perform... Um, uh, included repentance and forgiveness of sins, but it also signified dying to one's old life and rising to a brand new life as Jesus rose from the dead. And most importantly, it was a confession that Jesus is Lord and it provided an entrance into the church. And um, what we find is that Jesus assumed that his followers would fast but not like the old fast. And as I said, there was continuity with the old, but something new had come with Jesus, which the old could not contain. The old ways, the old structure, could not contain the new things that Jesus was bringing into being. So what do we mean by fasting? It might be worth just asking that question. Well, in general terms, fasting is a deliberate abstinence from food, and sometimes drink for religious, cultural, political, or even health reasons, and is a practice found in most societies and cultures. And we do it every night and finish it with breakfast. Breakfast. All right? It was years before I realised what that meant. Uh, but there are other types of fast. People may choose to abstain from habits and routines. And in fact, any activity of normal life for a variety of reasons. And it gets labelled fasting. So let's, first of all, have a, a brief look at fasting in the Old Testament. This is not exhaustive. We're just picking a few examples. I think, in general, we will see that fasting is used to give greater emphasis or intensity or weight to what people are doing, be it responding to impending danger or coming to terms with loss or tragedy. The person fasting may, in effect, be saying, this is so serious, this is so serious, I'm prepared to go without food as I earnestly seek the Lord. 
And just to give you a few examples. Firstly then, fasting as an expression of repentance and humbling before God. There was a point in Israel's history when the priesthood had become corrupt. This was Eli and his sons, if you know the stories. And the Philistines had defeated them, and the people had gone after foreign gods. At this time, God had raised up the prophet Samuel to be a leader and a judge over the people. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Astaroth, that was uh, like a totem pole that they used for worship, from among you. And direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals, that's another uh, pagan god, and the Astaroth, and they served the Lord only. So there was obedience in the people, and it's interesting, it comes before the fasting. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord. It was like an offering to God. They were making an offering by pouring out the, the water. And it says, And they fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Samuel judging them meant he was their leader. So I think what we find is that fasting has no purpose and will have no effect unless it is accompanied by sincere, wholehearted seeking of the Lord and a lifestyle of obedience. So another incident. As God's judgment on them, the Jews were taken into captivity in Babylon. And after 70 years, the Jews were allowed to return to Jerusalem. But it was in a sorry state. The temple was in ruins. The the walls were broken down and the gates were burned by fire. When Nehemiah, who was a leader of the people, heard about this, he was deeply distressed and he mourned for days with fasting and praying. Through his prayers, he gained courage to approach the king and got permission from King Artaxerxes for not only the people to return to Jerusalem, but he even got the king's authority to take timber from the king's forest to repair the gates. So the people returned, but they knew that it was God's judgment on them against sin that they'd been taken into captivity. But now he was having mercy on them. Ezra the priest gathered the people together and read to them from the book of the law. Now these people would not have heard the law while I was in captivity. So it was, it was new to many of them because they'd been there for 70 years. And this, was, uh, this went on for days and there came a point when having heard God's decrees and recognising how far short they'd fallen from them, they publicly confessed their sins and we read, Now on the 24th day, of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. That's pretty drastic, isn't it? Fasting, sackcloth and earth on their heads. And you find that expression of humbling themselves in various places in the Old Testament. 
and the Israelites separated themselves from all foreign foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and their iniquities. In, oh, sorry, and confessed the sins and the iniquities of their fathers. That's Nehemiah chapter nine, verses one to three. Um, it was often the role of the prophets to warn the people of impending disaster and call them to return to the Lord, to confess their sins and come back to the Lord. The prophet Joel, having raised the alarm concerning the disaster that would overtake them, says in effect to them, it's not too late, it's not too late. And here's what he says, yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and with weeping, with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. That's important, and this occurs a number of times. God is looking for the condition of people's hearts, not their out outward observances. It, so he's saying, rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows? whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him. Then the prophet says, Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even the nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. This was so serious, he's going to interrupt a wedding. It's so serious, but it's all about our inward attitude. And then we have um, fasting as an expression of mourning for those who died. This we find is quite common in the Old Testament, but here's an example. Uh, King Saul and Jonathan. Uh, Jonathan was David's um, best friend. This is before David became king. But King Saul and Jonathan... Jonathan um, had been killed by the Philistines. And, Dave, and uh, David, before he became king, and his men mourned for them. And we read, Then David took hold of his clothes and tore them. So did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and they wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. And then there's fasting because of the threat of disaster. Um, and um, uh, we heard about, a little bit about Esther last week, but this is the story of Esther. If, you, if you've not read the story of Esther in the Old Testament, do. It's a, you know, a thrilling story. It's a wonderful story. But the story of Esther is that a Jewess... Uh, because of her beauty, um, had become queen in Persia. And there were many Jews living in the province, quite safely until the king was tricked into making an edict that all the Jews should be annihilated. Uh, when Esther's uncle Mordecai hears of this, there was great distress among the Jews. And we read, When Mordecai learned all that had been done, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the midst of the city. And he cried out with a loud and bitter cry, 
He went out to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning amongst the Jews, with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. But it's now Queen Esther to the rescue. But she needs to get this edict revoked and it was not done for the queen to approach the king uninvited it was actually against the law and it could mean death but for the sake of her people Esther prepared to do it and she asked for support from the people with fasting and sends a message to Mordecai go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. I will go to the king, though it's against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything that Esther had ordered him. And if you know the story, she was successful. And the edict was revoked, and the person who'd set it all up in the first place a guy called Haman was hanged. So it was a happy ending to the story. The Jews were spared. How much the, the fasting played in that, only God knows. These examples of fasting were in response to particular events or situations, not routine as, became, as it did become for some people, which we will see in the New Testament. And in most cases, the people are called to corporate fasting, it may have signified distress or dread or an earnest seeking of God. But overall, if I'm trying to sum it up, I think it was an expression of humility. They were wanting to humble themselves uh, before God. And no matter what the reason is that we are seeking God, humility is, is, is one uh, prerequisite. prerequisite. Um, I think it was Steve said, that when we're praying and fasting, we're not trying to twist God's arm. Um, you know, we're not trying to, to uh, um, make a, a reluctant God do something. It's all about us. It's about our condition. And Peter tells us that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's 1 Peter 5. And he goes on, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that in the proper time he may exalt you. So humility is very important when approaching God. This tells us that fasting is to be a heart attitude, not an outward ritual. God says that fasting that does not come from a humble heart and a godly lifestyle is hypocritical. You're a hypocrite. And that's condemned in the Old Testament. Um, in, our, in Isaiah 58, we have a condemnation of hip hypocritical fasting. So, in other words, fasting along with other spiritual disciplines is not an end in itself, but should be an outward expression of an inward heart attitude that leads to a lifestyle that pleases God. In Isaiah's day, the people thought they were doing all the right religious things, and yet God was not answering their prayers. Here's how Isaiah expresses it. It's the people speaking. Why have we fasted? and you have seen it not. Why have we humbled ourselves, and you take no knowledge of it? 
Then the reply, Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and fight and hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. He then says, What sort of fast pleases God? And gets his ear. Is not the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him? And then he goes on. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. Jesus picked up this theme in the New Testament. So let's, let's turn to the New Testament now. But before we... Um, sorry, at the time of Jesus, um, the fasting had become enshrined in the Jewish uh, religious system. All Jews were required to fast on the Day of Atonement and on other prescribed fasts. But, but many had added regular, weekly, or... Uh, twice a week sometimes fasts. Jesus did not condemn the practice in principle, but warned against the legalistic outward expression of piety that it had become in his day. But before we look at what Jesus has to say about fasting, let's just consider Jesus' own experience of fasting, right? which is you know, quite a prominent thing in the New Testament, right at the beginning of his ministry. Um, Jesus had been baptised by John in the Jordan and the Holy Spirit had descended on him and a voice from heaven had declared, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. And then what is called the temptation of Jesus is recorded in Matthew, Mark and Luke. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And... Um, most of you will probably be familiar with these temptations. Um, what they were doing, they were the devil was trying to get Jesus to shortcut his way to fame and fortune rather than to go God's way. After fasting 40 days, he was hungry. Here the unique son of God who had become man was being tested, not just to see if he'd do wrong, but whether he would be obedient to his calling as God's Messiah and become the saviour of the world by God's way and not the world's way, which the devil was tempting him to. Uh, this, was just, this was not just the devil having a go at Jesus. Um, he does that later. But this is God's initiative in preparing his son for his unique role. The writer of the Hebrews says of Jesus, although he was a son, he learned obedience through the, what, what he suffered. So what about us? What does this say to us? Um, we know that God's purpose in saving us and making us his children is that we should become more like Jesus. And for our part, um, I'm sure we want to be imitators of him. And whilst I think it's appropriate uh, for us to be imitators of him in his response to the devil's temptation, that is quoting scripture as he did, you remember as the devil presented him with various things. For instance, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Um, Jesus' response was from scripture. 
Um, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And that is how he proceeded as these temptations were brought, brought to him. He used scripture, and we can um, most certainly um, learn much from Jesus there. But I do not believe we are called to imitate his lengthy fast. As I said, it was God's initiative for the unique preparing of the Son of God. So I don't believe anyone should attempt such a fast unless they're clearly called by God to do so. I can remember a, f a few years ago now when um, we used to go to uh, the two days of prayer and fasting three times a year that um, New Frontiers put on. And there was a season when um, there was quite an emphasis on fasting. And there were a few people who attempted 40-day fasts. And I can, I can picture it now, one of the people um, having to be assisted into the room because they couldn't walk, they couldn't even stand. So I'm not saying don't do it, but make sure God is calling you to do it. All right. What we will look at, look at now is what Jesus had to say about fasting. Remember, this is in the context that in addition to the fasts required by law, some people, particularly the Jewish leaders, were engaging in weekly fasts, sometimes twice weekly fasts, which had become a badge of their piety because they made a show of it. And when you make a show of it, you become proud of your spirituality, which cuts across the principle we found in the Old Testament of humbling yourself and what Peter says. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. So the first um, scripture we look at is Matthew 6 and, and 16 to 18. I'm going to dwell a bit on these, so I'll pause if you want to just look at, uh, follow through with me. Matthew 6, um, 16 to 18. Fasting has its reward, either from men or from God the blessing of God. It's the praise of men or the blessing of God. And at the beginning of this passage, Jesus says, and when you fast, so Jesus assumed that there would be fasting, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, uh, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This might suggest that fasting is always to be done alone and in secret. But Jesus was providing a complete contrast to those who paraded their piety on a regular basis. In fact, there are a couple of references in the Acts of the Apostles where people were clearly praying and fasting together. And as I think was mentioned um, a couple of weeks ago, um, fasting uh, with others who share your desire to draw near to God, close to God, can be a great encouragement. So there's no prohibition on pro fasting with others. Um, before we leave this scripture... Um, the question we might ask, how does the Father reward us? What do you think? It says, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Well, it may be with specific things that you're seeking, but I think principally God rewards us with himself. 
uh, as we seek God in prayer and fasting, then God rewards us with more of himself. Prayer and fasting should be primarily about wanting more of God, not about the things he can provide. And Jesus told a parable to illustrate how we get right with God, how we're justified, how we're counted righteous in his sight, and it's not by works of the law or outward observances, because these only make us proud, and as we've noted, if we are proud, God resists us. So this is Luke 18, verses 10 to 14. And it's a parable. Jesus used it for illustration. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Most of you know that tax collectors were hated, they worked for the Romans, and they were able to siphon off some of the takings for themselves. So they were hated by the people. And the man went on, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other man. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And of course, Jesus had already indicated that his followers will fast, but it will not be like the old fast. It will be a fasting for a new age. Now, John the Baptist and his disciples would have got their understanding of what it is to be spiritual from the Jewish leaders of the day, and in particular the Pharisees who were champions of the Jewish faith. They were the custodians of the Jewish faith. They uh, were the ones who were sticklers uh, for making sure that everybody kept to the very letter of the law. So some disciples of John come to Jesus. It says, and this is um, Matthew 9, verses 14 to 17. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch tears away from the garment and, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Jesus was telling the people that this was a new age, this was going to be a new type of fasting. Interestingly, the question that um, John's disciples asked, why do we and the Pharisees fast? It's a good question. Why, why were they fasting? Was it because it was the done thing? Because it was the ritual that they did on a regular basis? Or were they sincerely seeking God? Were they humbling themselves before God? So, Jesus referred to himself as the bridegroom. Uh, with the coming of Jesus, the kingdom of God had come to earth. 
The kingdom of God is where God's rule and reign is manifest, where God's will is done. As we pray in the Lord's Prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And uh, as Jesus performed miracles and engaged with the people, he frequently said to them, the kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom of God is near you. And he said that because he was a, a, a perfect manifestation of the kingdom of God. He obeyed the Father, absolutely, and was able to do works in the Father's name. And, and when the Pharisees accused him of driving out demons by the prince of demons, he replied, if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then know that the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus was demonstrating the power of the age to come. It was the kingdom breaking into this present age. It was a foretaste of what the new heaven and the new earth would be like, and which we can read about um, in the book of Revelation. It was breaking into this age with the presence of Jesus. Let's just, I'll just read a bit of that. So this is speaking of the new age. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. Jesus, as God's representative, as God himself, was dwelling with men. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more for the former things have passed away. That is the new age and that's what was breaking in with Jesus. In Matthew 9 that we looked at just now, Jesus described himself as the bridegroom and in Revelation the church is described as the bride, the bride of Christ who will one day be united with the bridegroom. This is the central event at the end of the age. The event that God has been planning from the beginning and in which the whole of history finds its fulfilment. It's the culmination of all of God's, of God's plans. So even uh, if it was only a limited foretaste um, with the presence of Jesus because he couldn't be everywhere at, at, at uh, one time and it was only for three years. Nevertheless, the, the, having the bridegroom with them was an occasion of celebration, not mourning. The long-awaited Messiah was here. Let those who have been longing for his appearing, appearing rejoice and be glad. But when the bridegroom is taken, he says, then they will fast longing for his return. The new fasting now is out of relationship with the bridegroom, not a legal requirement of the law. Since the first coming of Jesus, we are now in what we might call the church age until the new age comes. And Jesus promised that the church, filled with the Holy Spirit and in his name, would do the works that he did so that the powers of the age to come would continue to break in through the presence of the church. Among other things, this is what we fast and pray for. We fast and pray for a greater manifestation of the kingdom of God. We ask God for more of what we already have, more of the life of Jesus manifest among us. Um, during this season, 
Um, we're suggesting various topics for prayer and uh, I do thank Steve for laying this all out for us in a programme, it's really helpful. Um, but I believe our underlying motivation should be to see the kingdom of God seen or manifest, however you like to put it, in the church more and more and touching our community and for this we pray and sometimes fast. We're going to close by singing a song. Let's stand together. Father of creation. If the musicians would join us, thank you.